0: Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying The Director's Cut, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, or like us on SoundCloud. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Paul Thomas Anderson's new drama, Phantom Thread. The film stars Daniel Day-Lewis as Reynolds Woodcock, a man who sits at the center of British fashion in 1950s post-war London, dressing everyone from royalty to movie stars with his distinct style. His status as a confirmed bachelor is upended when he meets Alma, a young, strong-willed woman who soon becomes a fixture in his life as his muse and lover. In addition to Phantom Thread, Mr. Anderson's directorial credits include the feature films Inherent Vice, The Master, Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, and Hard Eight. Mr. Anderson was nominated for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Feature Film and the Academy Award for Best Director for his 2007 feature There Will Be Blood. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Anderson spoke with director Ryan Johnson about filming Phantom Thread. During their conversation, Mr. Anderson discusses why he chose to shoot the film without a cinematographer, his collaboration with musician Johnny Greenwood on the movie's score, and his mantra in the editing room, don't get stuck.
1: Hey, Paul. Hi, Ryan. (laughs) Uh, Congratulations, first of all, man, on the film. It's really something special. Um, yeah. Right. Give it up. Raise the roof. Uh, I guess I'll start at the very beginning. Probably a pretty generic question, but I am curious. Like, what was what was the very first kind of embryonic germ that this story started with for you?
2: Um, well, it's never it's never just one. Maybe it's a couple. Um, Maybe I I can remember having an impulse of wanting to make a relationship movie, a man and a woman, you know, just kind of something simplifying down to that. But that's very broad and and generic, I suppose, but a a good way to get started. I had been ill in in bed uh one night, really sick, and uh my my better half looked at me with a love and affection that I hadn't seen in a long time. I thought, "Wow. Well, that's kind of um that's kind of interesting, you know? I really I really need her to get me soup right now, and she looks like she's enjoying it, you know? Um so that's kind of maybe one silly thing, but mixed in with that was wanting to work with Daniel again. Yeah. Um and I think the other thing that happens is you're laying around on your couch watching TCM, is that you know Rebecca comes on or something like that, and those movies that we all love, and you, you think, ah, that looks good, you know. Um, <laughs> So I kind of I'm a fan of those types of those gothic romance kind of movies, especially it's, it's romance stuff. The way that Hitchcock did it as well, which yeah. is a, you, you're never really supposed to say his name out loud.
1: But is it like um, Macbeth, you mean? Is it now cursed? The
2: well, no, yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of like you know, if you 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 say you want to do something like Hitchcock, you just you, you just shouldn't say that. <laughs> you shouldn't say it. But um, he, but I suppose you know I. The, the, the romance that is in, particularly in rear window, I remember, um, I remember that great moment when Jimmy Stewart's watching Grace Kelly, uh, take the plunge and go across the street, and he just has this look in his eyes like, that's my girl. You know, he's so in love with her. And I guess it's that kind of combination of f- that fever and romance that ha- can happen when you look at somebody, and, and, and it's, it's kind of gothic and crazy. And, um, it, it appeals to me. So Daniel and I just started writing based on a few of those different things.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, hearing a few other, hearing you talk about this film a little bit, it sounds like, um, I mean, you guys were really partners in making it. It sounds like really it went back to the start with writing. And I'm also, I'm curious how how that worked. And then um, I'm also curious, I mean, I don't, there's, you know, there's I don't know if there's an actor working today who has kind of the, the mythos around him with the public that, that he does. So I'm just curious about your onset. How you guys work on set? You know, is it um, just the actual process? Do you rehearse previously with the other actors? I just laid like three questions in the room.
2: Well, no, you know, um, well, Daniel's Daniel. You know, and you and he's he's a powerful presence. And he's a great collaborator. So that collaboration, because we've done it before. I, I figured, I think, fi- I talked to him about working together and doing something and I had a few ideas and I figured it would be, be, we figured it, why don't, why don't I share material with you as I go rather than kind of go away and write for a year and have some big Shazam moment where I sort of show it to you. We need to do this together. Um, and that proved really helpful because he was able to go away and speaking to the sort of mythological sort of you know, proportions of preparation he does is that he wanted to learn how to sew. He wanted to get as close as he could to the apprenticeships that have to happen if one is a, a coutier, and then that means something, I mean, there's a very famous story that uh, Givenchy studied under Balenciaga, two great designers, and Balenciaga was known as a great sewer and had, had studied since he was... An infant, basically, and an apprentice, and apprenticeships would last ten years. And Givenchy said to Balenciaga, "How can I be like you, master?" And he says, "Well, you can't. It's too late for you. Uh, <laughs> in other words, you ha- if you haven't done that and you're already on your way, forget that." So Daniel, knowing that, still tried to do what he needed to do, which was one of his missions was to sew a hundred buttonholes. Uh, which he did you know and just to learn the basics so he didn't you know so he knew what he was doing what it felt like to touch these needle and thread so intimately and all that um, but the process of writing was it was just all these back and forth you know Um I would write and I would give it to him he would come up with some ideas I would go back and write really just a, a proper collaboration sometimes over the telephone sometimes in the same city well, what could happen while we were doing that was getting to learn what neither of us knew much about at all, which was the world of fashion in the 1950s, particularly dressmaking and how that goes. How do they make it? How does it work? How is it bought? How is it sold? What do they start with? Do they start with the inspiration from a piece of fabric, from a muse? You know, and and we we learned as we, we wrote as we learned. Um, and sometimes our writing would get ahead of our learning. I would kind of be, be writing things that I didn't even know if it made sense, but I hoped it might. And then you'd find some thing that, that was in the research to so, say, Oh, you know, I, I guessed right or your instincts were taking you away. Um, as far as rehearsal goes, Daniel does not like to rehearse. Um, there's a very simple blocking on the day, the, just this sort of basic idea of where everybody might go, and then we really just shoot and shoot and shoot. Um, he's v- very particular about talking about things, and that's what this year-long sort of writing process was, like just talking everything through, so that really when we get to the set, there's not much dialogue, there's not much, um, really the extent of the directing with Daniel that day was just sort of going to see what wardrobe he'd picked out and he'd sort of be like, like <laughs> this jacket or that jacket? And I'd be like, that one, you know, that was the kind of extent while we were doing it. Um, and that's, um, you know, the first time that, that that Reynolds and Alma are on screen is the first time that they they, they, they met outside of one small casting session that we'd had. Yeah, we, you know, we had to do fun stuff like that, you know, yeah. to keep it interesting, and um,
1: yeah. One tiny little thing I wanted to ask you about in that scene, and it's so beautiful and magical, that scene for a lot of reasons. There's like the sensuality of the food, the way it's shot. Their first conversation, which is so powerful, I didn't realize until the second time I saw it, and I only realized it intellectually as a, as a line cross right? yeah and it's that is magical to me that it feels so right and that's a beautiful thing I want to take and put in my back pocket right. if anyone ever gives me shit about crossing the line yeah I know
2: it's it's uh, you know for this the director's guild you know when you cross the line you just get those eyes on set like mm, mm, you know and and, a, and, a, and especially a, with the British crew absolutely Are you sure
1: you want to do that yes
2: they're very passive-aggressive about it or very aggressive about it um, Script girl nodding in the corner, like I'm, you know, I'm gonna. You're not gonna call me when you're in the editing room. You're screwed. But we. That was a classic situation of when you go to do something like that that you feel incredible confidence in. Uh, Technically, I suppose you sort of feel confidence just because you're looking at it and you see that they're both in the frame and you have this gut instinct that's going to work, um, and you go with it. And then, the next day, panic takes hold and you say, "Well." (laughs) Just in case, why don't we, you know, which is that horrible sinking feeling. And then, of course, you do it on the right side of the line. The performance is not as good. Nothing's as magical. It's all just kind of a waste of, uh, of like an hour. And then you get to the editing room and you, then you write letters to everybody and you say, I told you so.
1: It's <laughs> is always the best feeling. Uh, do you, um, how do you, how do you work with, I'm going to come back to, I want to talk about the, the two other actors and Ed, Vicki and, and Leslie. But, um, real quick a tangent uh, in terms of the camera do you do you board do you shot list do you come to the day and look at the blocking and figure it out how do you work now and how is that different from how you've worked in in the past
2: um i think in the past when i started out i was so i was usually the youngest person on the crew so i felt like an over i needed to be an overachiever and shot list or storyboard particular sequences out which i would still do if there was an enormous amount of Uh, physical effects or something like that. But for the most part, a lot of it happens in scouting for us, like scouting locations over and over again, and to get at least, here's some really good ideas, but without Daniel and the actors being there, let's let's leave it open to see what might happen. As really sort of running through with my assistant director usually is just like there's one way, here's one way it could go, here's another way it could go. And try and inevitably, you know, sometimes those those guesses are right. Mm-hmm. Other times Daniel will come in with an idea that's completely left field and great and uh, or or not. Um and so it's 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 sort of planned instinctuality, I suppose, you know, um and I've had enough great moments where you didn't know what was going to happen, and you and something great happened. and Enough moments where you think, let's just be loose about it, and you just flounder out yeah. there without like without ha- half a good idea or anything. And those are always rough, and it makes you think maybe I'll come up with a shot list tomorrow <laughs> and just to sort of get get some confidence back. Yeah. yeah,
1: I love the credit. Um, light it's lighting cameraman. Right, that's, that's British, right. Very British credit. Yeah, and I know there was um, you know some. uh Talk about how, the, in terms of the cinematography, I know there was a misperception at the beginning of you like being the cinematographer, but hearing you talk, that's not really exactly the case. Talk about how you worked with the lighting crew.
2: Well, the, the guys I work with, Mike Bauman, um, Colin Anderson, Eric Brown, Jeff Kunkel, that's the sort of core group first assistant cameraman, first assistant Camera operator, gaffer, and grip, and we worked on features when I worked with Robert Elswit together, and we have done a lot of smaller side projects between features, and it was a really nice working relationship that Robert couldn't do. So it was a really nice working relationship, and we felt confident that we could take that uh, onto a larger scale uh, and do it, and do it, and and do it here for this and. Um, you never know how it would have turned out if a proper cinematographer had been there. Obviously, it would have been different. Somebody else would have had a say and done some great things, but it was really nice to work with those guys, um, just cause I like working with them. Yeah. Um, and it, and, and it worked. It worked. It, of course, it wasn't without its hiccups, but the, the te- testing is the, is the great solution. We just tested and tested and tried to spend as much time as we could trying to find what we liked, how it looked. You know, we used lots of old-fashioned stuff like locons and smoke and all that kind of stuff and just tried to find the ingredients that felt right to us. And um inevitably, as that goes, you know, you can test and test and test, but really after the first week, it start sort of really starts to settle. You're like, well, we got a couple good things there. And then, yeah. and if you're lucky enough, maybe you can go back and fix a few of your mistakes, which we were able to here and there, but. Um, yeah. really do you watch film
1: dailies with the with the crew? Or?
2: We do, we do. Over in England, we had a little bit of trouble printing dailies. Um, they don't do it there very often. Yeah. So that was, I don't know if you had that struggle or not. It was, um. Lab situation. there's some lab situations there that are, it's not like being in LA. Look, I loved shooting in London. I know you did too, but there's nothing like shooting here. It is absolutely heaven because all the pieces work, the labs are great, and it's just we we we've, we've got it. We've got it going on here. But that said, we do always we would always we would try to print dailies there, and if they did we weren't satisfied, we would shoot send our negative back here and get some prints just to sort of really make sure we were on the right track. So we get them maybe every couple weeks but we would go every night uh as a group and and do our tellisony and look at it together which is always that's when you that's when you either are hanging your head low or you've got some real confidence going into the next day yeah mm-hmm. so daniel didn't do, but you know that was really just the crew no, None usually the actors are invited but the and mostly the actors that I work with choose not to um to to come to dailies. Yeah. I don't know what your experience was, but but lately the actors don't they, they're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. If you're happy It's
1: weird, I've never done like projected dailies and watched it with the whole group. We've have done just like we all it's terrible, but we all get them on the iPads. I scanned right. it. But I I typically don't, yeah. But um what uh um another very specific shooting question on set do you um, I'm assuming for some weird reason, I assume the answer is no do you use playback much do you use a monitor are you up by the camera what's your I like a very small
2: monitor um, because they've just gotten bigger and bigger and I think we were happier with something that was portable not too small that you can't see it and usually sort of shoved in a corner um, usually for the script supervisor I find myself either I always find myself right next to the Camera, but also there's that little onboard yeah. camera. Yeah. I always end up. I'm sort of kind of going back and forth between those two things, yeah. um, and try not to do playback too much because I know that can interrupt the flow. I think particularly with Daniel, he doesn't want to hear his voice or he doesn't want to feel that 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 sense of a bunch of people muddled around a monitor. But I've I've found that the late the further you get into the film, the more sort of playback comes into play because you are piecing something together that you do need to reference. But yeah. at the start, it usually, just it, it seems like
1: we're moving a lot without it. Just flow. Going back real quick to the actors. How early um, in the process to? Well, I guess you kind of answered the question with um, Vicky, and she's extraordinary, by the way. Cre- uh, cre- Kreps. Kreps. Um, creeps, creeps. creeps. <laughs> uh, how early do are, are the other actors involved? Do you you know how do you work with them? If you've done all this preparation with Daniel in terms of prepping right. with them, with this.
2: Well, yeah. So Daniel, obviously, we talked about that, and didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't didn't want to get into a situation we were looking for an unknown we were looking for something that we didn't know was out there which was vicky but we started as early we started maybe a year beforehand a little bit less than a year and the the, the goal being like i'd rather get my hands on this person if 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 she's out there so that there is the opportunity to to get to know her so it's you know yeah. the worst situation would have been finding somebody and then starting the next day you yeah. know um and I think we found Vicky relatively early on, so I was able to get to know her for about six months before we started shooting. And the same thing goes for Leslie, who is we knew her work, and so we didn't really we just called her and asked her if she was available and would she like to do it, which was really nice because we also knew that Leslie is a, is a, a, an in demand actress who's working a lot. So part of it's a double thing. You say like, can you can you block out this time? And here's the script so you can chew on it in, in your life for the
1: next six to nine months before we get going. Did you with her, do you ever have, well, I mean, I guess with with your earlier films, you had like a group of actors you worked with regularly. But with a part like that, do you have her in mind when you're actually writing or is it something where... I think about halfway through, Daniel
2: and I really started to have strong discussions about uh, actresses that could play that part. And there was a lot of, of great actresses. If you're going to need to fill this part of an actress that age... In England, it's a yeah, it's a vast, bounty. yeah, vast. Yeah. You know, um, so well, le, you know Leslie. We knew I knew from Mike Lee's films, but yeah. m- m- more more specifically than anything was as you do. You look people up on online, and and I saw just one photograph of Leslie that made me feel like. I mean, obviously she's great, but this is our girl. It was probably just some some PR photo that she did promoting a movie or something like that. It was it just you saw those eyes and her skin, which is like a stop and a half brighter than anybody else's in the world, you know. So
1: it was like just let's let's call her up fast and book <laughs> and book her, you know. That's fantastic. And all the by the way, all the I mean, obviously the three main actors are amazing, but the faces and the all the set kind of characters who are in the house. Yeah everyone the um what's the name of the woman who's kind of the socialite woman who they have to dress and barbara she gets rose, dropped. Barbara rose. Yeah. Oh, the names in this also if you just look <laughs> at the credits list until yeah. you had fun with the names um I mean, just extraordinary, but I guess that's the nice thing about being in England. You just have. Well, B- Barbara Rose, the one American import.
2: Oh, She's she? fantastic. Oh. She's, she came over from New York for us. Um, but everybody else, yeah. I mean, you've got Gina McKee, the great Gina McKee. You've got Julia Davis, uh, Camilla Rutherford, uh, and a few wonderful actresses that unfortunately we cut out. But, um, um, that's a, you're ta- what you're talking about is a good thing too, is that trying to, you know, the worst thing that can happen is when an actor, because we have a kind of an episodic structure, so you have actresses coming in for like two days worth of work. And the worst thing in the world is when you have maybe met that actress maybe like for a half a second and then they're, they're, they're there and they're expected to be great instantly. And... We had a couple benefits. There were so many costume fittings that there was a lot of opportunities for me to go in and get to know these women closer rather than just meeting them to ask them to do the movie. So there was a, a good amount of time we got to spend with them and they got to spend within the confines of the production. So that just, it made it, just makes it easier. I mean, I'd hate to be an actor who had to come in. You know, for an afternoon uh, and be and suddenly be great, and especially opposite Daniel, you know, he's very intimidating, I think, for some people. So,
1: yeah, remember, I just I remember recently to the Paul F. Tompkins uh comedy bit, yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, uh, anyway. Uh, how do you, in terms of your um, the editing process, how do you work? tell describe, tell them, talk about how you work with with Dylan, your editor have you worked with now for a long, long time? Yeah. Yeah. Um
2: we, you know, as simple as it sounds, we start at the beginning. You know, um, and you
1: don't assemble during the shoot. You start after, or do you?
2: Yeah, he he might noodle around, but he's all. I always sort of would go in there, and he was using like, like playing around with color correction tools that he had and stuff yeah. like that. He was usually just kind of maybe like Being page curl, <laughs> for transitions. Yeah, exactly. Like like, like starburst, like diamond wipes, and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> just just like messing around because because the the real I think the joy that we have getting. To is like right I mean th- he's keeping an eye on things he's there through production not to cut things together but to remind things from dailies like you know do you just to guide the ship help that just to making sure that the ship isn't an inch off mark so that we don't end up in Timbuktu so that's really what the actual cutting It's really fun. It's like just the two of us. Like, right? What's the beginning? You know, what music do we have from Johnny to work with? Usually, we have piano demos, and and one thing that we've learned over the years is like, don't get stuck. That was our motto. Was like, don't get stuck. Like, even if this is this is not the greatest scene in the world, keep moving, keep moving. So we just try to go really fast, not get stuck, not take anything too seriously, and just get to the end, so we can sort of look, you know, and see what we have and things present themselves, I'm sure as you know, like pretty quickly, you know, like, and you can get within striking range pretty quickly, and then the trouble starts, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Um, which the trouble, the trouble is usually the most fun is like, right, it can't be two hours and 30 minutes. It should be two hours. Now we've got to get it. So you get to 2.15, you go, so oh, it's the next 15 minutes. How are we going to do it? And then you surprise yourself and you're like, we're at 2.08. What, can, what else can we get rid of? Um, it's, and, and then you find yourself going like, no, we're just cutting two o'clock. What are we doing? What's the story we're telling? What stop? Everybody pause. And, as the music is really informative for us of the editing, because it's, as you tell, it's full of music. So that process of cutting the movie and the music coming in or already being there is just so deeply tied together. Um, yeah, scenes that were, were, you know, became ah really good. You know, mm-hmm.
1: it's so yeah, it's so. married. I mean, with all your you know, with all your movies, the the, the music is uh, inseparable from the from the piece. So that was going to be my next So you, so we had temp stuff from Johnny to work with. What other kind of things did you did you use other tracks also to kind of temp in, or did you mostly work with that? Or?
2: No, the we never used anything temp, temp. We we just had Johnny we had Johnny's demos, yeah. which were piano um, and sometimes his fake computer strings before we did the real thing. And then I had some music by Nelson Riddle and Oscar Peterson that does appear in the film that I wondered, will this end up in the film or is this something that can inspire Johnny? And it ended up being in the film because it was something that seemed foolish for Johnny to try to imitate or even be influenced by. It was its own kind of thing. And then we had... There's a great Schubert piece that was always really nice and I thought for a second Johnny might do something there but we decided... We would need a break from what Johnny was doing just to keep the, you know, just to keep it moving in slightly different ways. Um. So yeah, it was. It, that's kind of how it went. Um, at, at this point, with with working with Johnny, that it starts as early as it would start with Daniel. As I we were writing, I was telling him things, and,
1: and what were the conversations with him? What do you? What was the first kind of like? You know. What, well,
2: you I think to? I said, you know, I think we should, you know, it doesn't come. Romance doesn't really come naturally I mean He's in Radiohead, you know. Mopey yeah. comes naturally to him, and sad. So I said, I know you, you have. I know you have romance in you. So let. How can we fit? Let's try and find some stuff that we like that we can listen to that might feel that way or I was really obsessed with passionate friends which we've talked about which we
1: watched actually the other night it's extraordinary is there a good home video we watched yeah we had to like find it no I'm embarrassed of how we watched it because there's not a good release of it right there
2: isn't it's a drag it's a great film by David Lean that he made after brief encounter that for whatever reason, nobody seems to know about. It. Even like diehard aficionados of David Lean I anything, I mentioned this movie to Ryan. He's like, "What are you talking about?" So, and it's uh, No Coward wrote it, and it's it's got a great score. Mm-hmm. Um, by who I'm blanking, but um, anyway, you know that's a kind of classic English romance movie and the score is it's, it's it's big and overblown and that's not really exactly what we wanted to do but we're certainly like let's let's grab some of that to put into this story um so those are the some of the conversations seeing that kind of stuff I, there were conversations about trying to do something that might be kind of Eastern European for Alma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we said, well, she's Luxembourgish, so let's research some Luxembourgish music. <laughs> it's um, it's um, kind of thin. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like, it, we did. <laughs> so yeah. Look, Luxembourgish music in the Wikipedia, it's like, there's ready to be filled in if anybody has anybody. <laughs> but it, it led. To, he had some melodies. He had he had Glenn Gould in mind when he was writing about Reynolds. That was something that he, that sort of spoke. He said so he figured he, Reynolds would be listening to Glenn Gould. So there's the one main melody that we have in it, and we sort of he he took a cymbal in and played it, which has a kind of vaguely luxembourgish european german <laughs> french feeling i guess i don't know it has got that
1: cascading sounds like yeah yeah uh yeah yeah that's beautiful <laughs> and does he do, do you uh, record st- do, like did you have stuff on set from have you were get started that early and does he then uh score specifically to the picture or do you take his stuff and work it into the edit and then like Yes. Just in terms of how he, works. We
2: don't have it on set, but I did give it to Daniel and Vicky to listen to. It was piano demos with the bad strings, like I talked about. And what yeah. we'll do is we'll sort of chop it up, and we'll, it's it usually, let's say it's a two-minute piece of music that has a melody in it and maybe some middle part or something. And laying it over six minutes will be great because they'll go, boy, that's repetitive, and then he'll kind of come up with ways to, to change it around and move it around. Um that's generally how we we work um he he's he's practically inept at scoring two picture Um, he can kind of do it if he's pressured into it but he'd much rather kind of write a piece of music and then we'll chop it up um and then he'll kind of rescore. it's a it's not how anybody should do it it's it but (laughs) It ends up working somehow. It's like loads of versions and loads of, of cutting and pasting and then by the time but by the time we get to because we're so paranoid about spending money and at the at the scoring stage, by the time this horribly like you'd you not want to see the workflow beforehand, but by the time we get to the scoring stage, we have got our because we don't want to embarrass ourselves in front of fifty, you know, Royal Philharmonic players. We we <laughs> have it figured out by then.
1: Uh, the other thing with the movie especially having just spent a ton of time in London it's um, you you can feel how much you love London and love the city and deeply and, and it's, it, it, obviously, you can see some of that comes uh, out of movies, but obviously, you, all, you capture the real place. So well. I wanted mean, to just, it, not really a directing question, but what's your relationship with London? Have you spent a lot of time there? What's your, you know...
2: I, thank you for saying that, because I do love it. I love it there. I don't know why. I mean, I'm from the Valley, you know, but I love, I love London. I have been surrounded by Brits by accident my whole life from my producing partners, Daniel and Joanne, are British, my assistant director, Adam, is British, Johnny's British, it's just, for whatever forces have come together in my life, I have this sort of connection to it over there. Um, I've always wanted to work there, you know, because because of the films from there, obviously, there's that draw as a film fan, you know, not just British films, but even other films that have shot in London, um, Star Wars being one of them, and, and on and on, and there's like a rich, um, History there—it's kind of—it's another version of Hollywood, I suppose—and. It's also a sort of maddening city to shoot in because it's one of those things you. I'm, I'm glad you said that about it because I, I, you drive through London, and you think everywhere looks cinematic, everything could be great, you yeah. know, um, and you just sort of like, well, I've blown it, you know, because every nook and cranny is great, um, whether you know, and but it's also incredibly built up, so hard to do without. And it was
1: all locations, so you were. Did you build any sets, or was it all actually? Uh, Shooting out
2: places, it was shooting on location um, we didn't build any sets, um, which might have been a mistake. I mean we were really in in the center of london and, I mean but it seemed a mistake to go to a set um, just because I think Daniels and I and I as well he really is obsessed with let 's go into the real thing, you know, but the real thing comes with so many logistical headaches, you know. Um, a, 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 t- a square that doesn't want you there. Um, lunch breaks that happen outside your window when he's trying to give a t- tearful monologue to the ghost of his mother. You know, all these <laughs> kinds of things. You think, who the fuck decided to shoot this in the center of London? This is such a bad idea. Um, with no elevator, shooting on like the fourth floor. And like, you just see like guys lugging lights up. They're so, like, this is
1: not a fun movie to work on. <laughs> Uh, Well, thank you for going through all that because it's an extraordinary film, man. And I think it's one that's going to... I know it's going to live in our hearts for a long while. Paul Thomas Anderson, give it up. Thank you, Ryan.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. And stay tuned for more episodes, including Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water, James Franco's The Disaster Artist, and Craig Gillespie's I, Tonya. Be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.